Thank you for tuning in. This is the Fit Minute Podcast, where we talk all things health, fitness, and lifestyle. And now for the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar. And on today's episode, I have a returning guest, Dr. Carolyn Stone. She is a naturopathic physician and is also my doctor. So welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm super excited to connect again, share more information. Yeah, let's do this thing. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you start by just telling, uh, telling our guests uh, a little bit about who you are and what you do as a doctor? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I'm a naturopathic physician and the focus of my practice is thyroid hormone and adrenal issues. In particular, one of the main focuses of my practice is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So that's an autoimmune thyroid condition. I think we touched on that probably last time we spoke, um, or maybe not. I think it was a completely different topic, but yeah, I, I practiced about cannabis. <laughs> we did. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. So my physical practice is in Tempe, Arizona, right down from ASU. Um, but I do a lot of virtual work as well. So do group coaching and have Instagram. I have a blog now. So lots of fun places that we can get connected. Yeah. And you share a lot of information about all kinds of different topics on your social media, your Instagram, um, anything from diet, nutrition to exercise to uh, anything under the sun, how to stay um, healthy and boost your immune system, just anything you can possibly think of, you share all kinds of things on there. So uh, that's really informative, which is great. Uh, And I think people need that kind of information because we don't get a lot of information on how to stay healthy naturally. So yeah, yeah. And that's kind of one of the gaps that I feel like naturopathic doctors fill is that, you know, in the conventional system, it's you go in, you're allowed to talk about one concern. Here's the medication for that concern. See you in six months to a year. Right. And in most cases, that's not always the case, but in most cases. And so I think that's really where, you know, health coaches and naturopathic doctors and all those health practitioners can really fill that gap so that people can feel empowered to do more, more things on their own. Well, there's a huge gap between that too, because just because you have one condition that's bringing you in doesn't necessarily mean that that there's only one thing that's causing a problem. You have to look at the yes. whole picture. You have to look at the whole person. Maybe it was one habit that you're doing or something you're eating or or something you're doing every single day is causing a whole number of issues. Maybe you're having sleep problems. Maybe you're drinking too much caffeine. Maybe you have a heart issue or you do have autoimmune. There's so many different things that add into what you're doing as a whole, it may not just be, okay, I'm having migraines. There could be seven different things that are causing (laughs) migraines, you know? And you have to look at the person as a whole and all of their habits and everything, their hormones, their, their lifestyle to understand why they're having the reactions that they're having, not just here's a pill, have a nice day, thank your your $150, we'll see you in six months, you know? So, yep. and not, not every doctor does that. Not, not every doctor does that, but I, you know, I know that a lot of people have seen that over and over and over again. So it can get very, very frustrating. So uh, there is a huge gap there and you, you do have the need to feel that gap. And that's one of the things I love about you and what your field does is that you sit with the person, talk to the person about how they've been feeling, what they've been doing, how they're, how they've been taking their medications. Are they taking supplements? Are they doing anything else in their daily lives that might be causing something in some sort of reaction? 
Yeah, exactly. Because that's it takes time to learn about your patients and their habits and all of those things. You can't do that in five to 10 minutes, right? I'm not going to get into, you know, your relationship problems with your, you know, your spouse or your mom or your best friend. I'm not going to get into all of those things unless I spend time with you and I understand what's going on. And, and you nailed it. Like we have to look at, you know, migraines aren't just a lack of a migraine medication, right? Those migraines are there for a reason. And that's what, right? Like that's what we call root cause medicine is trying to figure out, well, where is this coming from? And almost always, you know, people come in with multiple symptoms, but as I hear more and more of their case, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's probably all coming from this one place or these couple of places. And if we can correct those, then you're going to be fine. <laughs> so it's it's kind of silly the way conventional medicine works, but you know that that's why we're here. Yeah, and for me, especially with Hashimoto's, I know you know when I first was diagnosed, it was a, it was a huge process. It was very frustrating. I know almost every single person I have ever known who's ever been diagnosed goes pretty much through the same process. They go to a doctor, they test their thyroid, their thyroid's within normal range. They probably go again, their thyroid is still within normal range, but they still don't feel right. Their doctor's still telling them they're fine. Then they eventually find out they have Hashimoto's because they eventually test their antibodies and find out they do have autoimmune. And then they go to an endocrinologist and then it's a whole rigmarole of, you know, go on this medication, do this, do that. But then there's nothing, there's really no follow-up to how to treat it in any sort of natural form or how, you know, how you're feeling as a person. You know, it's here's this medication, this will help. And when it doesn't help and your numbers seem to look okay because this is within normal range, just because it's within normal range doesn't mean it's normal range to you or that you feel good. You know, I didn't feel good for years and years and years. It was, I felt awful. And still telling a doctor that is like, well, everything looks fine. We'll see you in six months, you know, and a lot of tears and a lot of struggle from that. Yeah. And I tell patients that all the time, like, yes, labs are helpful. They help us kind of pinpoint some issues, but labs are not everything. They're just numbers. And you have to look at the person sitting in front of you. You know, I have people who maybe their labs are in the optimal range, but they still feel crappy. I have people who are not quite in the optimal range and they feel really great. Right. So I'm always like, okay, here's what your lab results say. How are you feeling? What's going on? <laughs> like, Cause that's going to give me the true picture of what we need to, to tackle. And, and you, like you mentioned people, women, you know, so women more commonly have autoimmune disorders in general, and that includes Hashimoto's. I mean, I think on average, it takes like five to 10 years to actually get diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is ridiculous. It's a simple blood test, right? Which is not true for all autoimmune conditions. Like of all of them, Hashimoto's is a very simple blood test. Now there's going to be, you know, maybe 2% of the population that have Hashimoto's that don't actually have positive antibodies, but the majority of people, all you have to do is run the test. And I don't know why that's so difficult for physicians to get on board with. But one thing that I always think about because when we think about Hashimoto's in particular, and really autoimmunity, is that so much of what's in your control is lifestyle stuff, right? What you eat, your stress, your exercise, all of those pieces. And that's not something a conventional doctor is really trained in, right? They have some information. They're not, you know, I'm not saying they're dumb by any means, but that's not something that their training focuses on versus an naturopathic doctor that's 
most of what we focus on, but we also can prescribe meds, at least here in the state of Arizona. And so part of me thinks like, okay, well, why would they run that test? Because unless their TSH is off, they're not going to prescribe a medication. So what else do they have to give you? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, well, maybe they shouldn't be running (laughs) if they don't know what to do with it or run it and then refer them to the appropriate people. It's Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of (laughs) backwards. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, five to 10 years to even be diagnosed. I think I felt probably sick for, I would say at least two two to four years. I don't think it was until I was really, really sick that I started to seek help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it was the whole process of about a year um, of being tested over and over and over before I went to see a naturopathic doctor. And I was like, this is not right. <laughs> like, something's <laughs> really, really wrong. Yeah. And, and again, there's so many autoimmune diseases. I mean, hundreds. And yes. And some of them are so much more difficult to diagnose, like you said, because the symptoms also, they mimic each other in so many different ways, you know, like you've got muscle aches and joint pain and headaches and sleep issues and gut problems, like gut Mm -hmm. problems. I mean, there's so many things that, that are similar to so many other autoimmune diseases that it's, it's very hard to diagnose some of them. But like you said, this one is a simple blood test. Yeah. Yeah. And once you have one autoimmune, you're going to be more likely to develop others. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like, once you get that identification, well, then that tells you your risk, right. Overall, which is something that we're always trying to assess in our patients is like, okay, how do I reduce their risk for any type of, you know, future events? Exactly. Which also makes you want to change those lifestyle habits that, created this in the first place. So you want to get to the point where I need to be able to change these things to reduce my risk of getting another autoimmune uh, autoimmune disease. So how do, how do I do that? And when another doctor says you can't, I'm sorry, (laughs) what? I can't, there's nothing I can do. There's no lifestyle habits. I mean, I literally had an endocrinologist tell me that I should work out more. Some of my patients say that exercise helps. And I was like, really? Did you know? Did, did oh. you know? I was like, did, did I? <laughs> That's odd. I mean, I only exercise five to eight hours a week. But you know what? Yeah. I should probably add a little more to my to my day because and maybe eat less too because that that's always a good ticket eat less exercise more that that's definitely going to heal your body (laughs) i mean and that like if you're not already frustrated and like discouraged and someone to tell you when i'm in you know i'm in this field i'm i know like this is what i do and you're telling me that exercise should help i'm like you're a doctor yeah (laughs) Like, how'd you get this far? Okay. You know, do do you know any, you don't know anything about me? Like that is incredibly frustrating. Yep. Yep. Yeah. um, You know, there's, there's so many ways you could do it, but you, so you just went through, you just, you said you went, um, you just finished an eliminate, an an elimination (laughs) diet challenge day diet challenge tell me a little bit about it and why you would do something like that in the first place yeah so when we so of course focus again is is mostly Hashimoto's in my practice with some periphery things and when we think about autoimmune conditions in general there is this theory called the three-legged stool of autoimmunity meaning there's kind of three pieces 
that when those are all present, someone is more likely to develop an autoimmune condition. And so the first one is genetic predisposition, right? You have a family member with an autoimmune disorder, you're going to be more likely to have it. Not really anything you can do about having the predisposition, but we do have control over how those genes are expressed, right? And the the two other pieces of that stool, of the three-legged stool, are kind of what tell us how to do that. And so one of those is going to be stress, and the other one is going to be gut health. So that's where the elimination diet comes in. And so when I say elimination diet, basically what I'm talking about is taking people back to like a super, super basic diet where we are not eating any foods that are likely to cause leaky gut or inflammation in the intestines. We know that a common theme across all autoimmune conditions is leaky gut or other gut issues like dysbiosis, um, SIBO infections, those types of things. And so if we can correct that, then we take care of that one stool, right? And so in the elimination diet, there's different ways of doing elimination diets. This is one that I've come to over years and years of doing food sensitivity testing and different types of elimination diets. And this is what I've gotten the most results with. And the people in this last group that I just ran, man, we had like pretty significant turnaround and a lot of symptoms. And this is the elimination challenge is 21 days, but the actual elimination diet part of it was just two weeks, right? We did a week of prep, getting them ready, and then actual two weeks of actually eliminating those foods. And it was just astonishing the changes that we saw in that amount of time. And so the way I do it is animal, what we call animal-based. For some people, carnivore is a term that they've heard. I'm not quite as strict as carnivore. That's that's pretty intense. Um, I find that most people can get away with animal-based, which is we eat animal protein, um, fruits, you know, for some people, like we have some individualization in there. So like some people eat white rice or they might have sweet potatoes, but no veggies, um, fats are okay. Some people will include dairy or not, depends on their sensitivities, usually with autoimmune. Cause I had some people in there that don't have Hashi's and they do okay with dairy. So I let them keep it in. Usually with Hashi's, you want to take that out during the elimination phase. But basically the idea is that we get rid of the gut inflammation and once we've got the symptoms better controlled, and you can do it from like two to four weeks, just depends on the person, but you start reintroducing foods to then see test, right? How does your body respond, right? So add that broccoli back in, add your kale back in. How did your gut withstand that, right? Start adding other things back in and just slowly the person learns what their body likes and what it doesn't like, what makes them feel inflamed, what hurts their joints, what causes migraines. And that way they can pinpoint really what base diet is going to work best for them. And it doesn't mean like they never have anything that never causes them an issue, right? Yeah, they're going to have that cookie or ice cream, whatever it is, but at least they know what to expect. And then they can take things like enzymes to help support them, you know, while they eat those things when they choose to. How does that work if like, say you're doing an elimination diet and then you start at, and you add something back in, like say you add broccoli back in one day and then the next day you don't eat broccoli, but you can add something else back in. How does that work? Like, how do you detox enough within that 24 hour period to be able to add something in the next day to know that that is okay? Yeah, that's a good question. So actually we wait 72 hours. So okay. you only reintroduce one food every every 72 hours because we have different types of immune system reactions. And so what we're looking for is what we call a delayed hypersensitivity response or an IgG response. So like if you do a food sensitivity test, they're looking at IgG or immunoglobulin G. So it's a type of protein produced by our immune system in response to um, foods that we eat. And so every 72 hours, so you eat that food. Usually what I have people do is eat it for two days, take the third day off, 
see how your body responds. If you don't have any reaction within that 72 hours, then you're okay to go ahead and introduce the next food. If in that time frame they develop symptoms, they take that food back out, they wait until all their symptoms clear up, and then they reintroduce the next one. Now, there's some that are similar enough, like broccoli and cauliflower, very similar. So usually if you do okay with one, you're probably going to do okay with the other. So you can group some things, um, but other things are a little bit trickier. Like even with like dairy, I find like some people do okay with hard cheeses, but not soft cheeses. They do okay with butter, but they can't have like just straight up milk. So some of it can be a little bit more nuanced, but you do want to wait a full three days before reintroducing the next food. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of like responses do people get like bloating, gassy kind of stuff like that? Yeah, it can really run the gamut. So it could be, yeah, definitely digestive stuff, maybe heartburn, gas, bloating, um, constipation, diarrhea. But it could be things outside of the gut as well. Like some people, they'll have headaches um, or migraines. Other people will have like joint pain or feel like they have muscle aches. Um, some people will feel, I call it puffy, where they feel like they're just like, like everything's kind of tight, like they're holding on to fluid. Um, I've even seen people have rashes before, especially like my super sensitive autoimmune folks can develop rashes. So sinus issues. I mean, honestly, it could really be anything. So you're just looking for a change, right? Like if you're feeling good, you add something back in and all of a sudden, like your eyes are swollen or, you know, you've got a rash on the back of your leg. Okay. Well, something's up. And then you just try and figure it out from there. Of course, there's other things that can cause those symptoms. So kind of got to be mindful about any changes in your environment, but this really helps you kind of pinpoint it. So what's the difference between doing an elimination diet or just testing your food sensitivity with the food sensitivity test? That's a good question. So I've done a lot of food sensitivity testing on myself, on, on tons of patients. And I've found that the majority of time I got good results with the food sensitivity test where it's like, okay, identify the foods and we remove those foods and the person got better. But I found that in a good chunk of cases, the person would feel good for a little bit maybe. And then all of a sudden their symptoms were coming back or they got a little bit better. Maybe they got 80% better, but there was still like this 20%. And so I found that the elimination diet just gives me better results because it's testing is like any other test, right? Any blood test you do, there's going to be some level of error. And I think that sometimes it can miss things. Some people are like, no, just take my blood. I'm not doing an elimination diet. So I'm like, okay, fine. Like at least that gives us a starting point. But I think if somebody can go all in and do the elimination diet that they will get really good results, but that doesn't mean you can't get those at all from a food sensitivity test. I just feel like it's like a step up from the, the food sensitivity tests. Because you're getting the actual reaction from your body. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it could also, I would say probably the food sensitivity test itself could be reactive to something you may have been eating. Yes. Yes. And there's also what we call cross reactivity, where like if you're exposed to something else, well, it can look like a reaction to this food, but it's not really. And I can usually tell when I look at the test, I'm like, nobody reacts to it. Like this is, this isn't right. Right. So it's, it's usually obvious, but not always. So that's that level of error that you can see. And that's where the elimination diet really shines. Cause it's, we get to see how that individual person responds, not just their, their blood on a tray, you know? Yeah, definitely. So leaky gut, let's, let's talk about gut for a little bit and leaky gut. What exactly is leaky gut and why do people get it? 
Yeah. So leaky gut, the way to think about it. So of course the two, the intestines are like a tube, right? And the inside of that tube is lined with cells. And those cells are supposed to be super close together. They have what we call tight junctions. So like holding hands, right? They're hugging. They're right there. And that allows certain things, very small things to get through the intestinal lining because we there's certain things that we want to pass back and forth. But what happens is if you are uh, dealing with significant stress, if you're eating inflammatory foods, um, drinking alcohol, those types of things will increase the space between those cells. So instead of hugging, they might be holding hands at a distance, right? And now you've got bigger particles, in particular, bigger proteins that are going to leak through that intestinal lining. That's why we call it leaky gut. The Like in research, you'll often hear it called increased intestinal permeability, basically just saying more stuff is getting through there. And outside of the intestines, we have all this blood flow, right? You've got vessels and everything. And so when the proteins come through, those can get into the blood vessels and create this reaction because there's a protein in a place where it's not supposed to be, right? So imagine like when we get exposed to a bacteria or a virus, our immune system's like, hey, that doesn't belong to me. I'm gonna mount an immune response. Well, in this case, it's like, hey, that protein's not where it's supposed to be. I'm gonna mount an immune response because that's out of place. And then we have this whole immune response. And that's why leaky gut is so closely connected to autoimmunity because it's triggering that immune response. And our gut is connected to our health in a lot of different ways as well that we don't really think about. So having a healthy gut is very important for other things like your heart, your brain, Mm -hmm. your other organs as well. Can you explain a little bit about that and why it's important to have a healthy gut? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in naturopathic medicine, we, we always say, you know, all disease begins in the gut, right? So in any chronic case, you're always having to look at what's going on in the gut. And so a few things there, you know, a good portion of your immune system. So going back to the immune system that lives in your gut, right? And so anything going on in your gut is going to impact the immune system also has a very rich blood supply. So whatever's going on in the gut, where does that blood go? Everywhere. So that means if you're, that's why with leaky gut, yeah, you'll have gut symptoms, but you'll also have what we call extra intestinal symptoms or symptoms outside of the intestines. And that's because all the stuff in the blood that's coming out of the gut, that's now traveling to your joints and your liver and your heart and all of these different places. The other piece is that a good portion of your nervous system also lives in your gut. So, you know, some people may have heard about that gut brain connection. So when people have anxiety, ADD, ADHD, OCD, all of these things, you have to look at what's going on in the gut because that's where a good chunk of your nervous system is. So, and the nervous system also travels throughout the body. So it impacts everything, everything, everything. It's kind of amazing. I never really thought about the gut being connected to the nervous system. I mean, I never really thought about it. Yeah, we don't. That's something we just don't talk about as much. I know, you know, we talk about a lot about your immune system and how important it is for that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe even just foggy brain, like being foggy brained. Um, cause that's huge too. You know, if you've ever, if you ever feel like, like your head's in the clouds or like you're mm-hmm. in a fog, which I mean, story of my life, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, <laughs> but, um, but not necessarily like to ADD or OCD or anything like that. I, I never really thought there was a connection between that as much. Yeah. Yeah. Like we see it in, like, I don't treat a lot of ADD, but you'll see it in kiddos. If you take, you know, food dyes out of their diet, if you take, 
um, excessive processed sugar out of their diet, their behaviors will improve, right? It's one piece of a big puzzle, but we know that you have to treat the gut in those conditions. And OCD is actually, um, people who have Hashimoto's have a higher prevalence of OCD as well. So there is- What are you talking about? I yeah, 100%. have OCD. <laughs> Yeah, this doesn't sound familiar at all. I'm not stressed. I don't have OCD. Right? Clearly not you. I feel like you should not be talking about me on this show. I remember when I first learned about that, I was like, mind blown. Like everything makes sense now. Okay. I'm not a crazy person. I mean, I may be crazy, but not for that reason. So. Right. Right. So what kind of diet if let's say you have autoimmune or let's say you have gut issues what kind of diet or nutrition is best for someone who is trying to treat that yeah so really we just want to think about reducing inflammation right and so there's some going to be some you know tried and trues of course everyone's going to need a little bit of individualization but in general there's going to be tried and true things that everyone's going to benefit from so getting, you know, excessive processed sugar out of the diet, right? most of our sugar should be coming from things like fruit um, for those who tolerate grains, right? That could be a source for them. Um, you'll get carbohydrates from, you know, tubers and veggies and all those types of things. So getting sugar out of the diet, alcohol is a big one, a big one, because that impacts our hormones, that impacts inflam inflammation, impacts your gut. So lots of different pieces there. So those are things like some things you want to take out. I would also say, again, going back to individualization, if we're talking about autoimmunity, we know gluten, right? Gluten's got to be a big one that we pay attention to there. Um, and for some folks, even nightshades. So nightshades, meaning like tomatoes and eggplants and those types of things. If you're, for those who are listening, if you're familiar with the autoimmune protocol or AIP, right, they take out similar things. But it could even go as far as like, you know, on my elimination diet, take, have people take out nuts and seeds because those can be problematic for folks. Um, but I would say one thing that's true for everyone that is pretty prevalent in processed foods is seed oils. Those are notorious in processed foods. So seed oils being like safflower um, oil, sunflower seed oil. Um, I mean, there's tons of them. There's tons of them. And so getting those out of the diet, because we know that those cause a significant amount of inflammation, they're highly processed and they're really just detrimental. So those are the types of things that people want to take out. But I also like to tell people what you can eat, like what is the good stuff, right? Yeah. And so I'm a huge fan of animal protein for a lot of folks because it's the most bioavailable form of protein. It's easily assimilated into the body. Now, some people with Hashimoto's might have trouble digesting animal protein if they have low hydrochloric acid, for example. So there might be some support that needs to happen in those places, but it's a really great source of protein as well as like B vitamins and selenium and zinc and all the other things that our thyroid hormones need. Um, I would say, so making sure they're getting adequate amount of protein because a lot of women are not, they are severely under eating their protein. So that's usually a good place to start making sure they're getting lots of healthy fats. All of our cells are enclosed in fat. We have what's called the phospholipid bilayer, the phospholipid, lipid as being fat, um, our brain, right? Rich in fat. All of our hormones, progesterone, estrogen, cortisol, testosterone, all of that comes from cholesterol. So making sure that getting people are getting enough fat. Like one thing that's yeah, yeah, yeah. avocado, olive oil. Um, if you're into like, you know, a lot of the butter. people in the animal, yeah, and the animal based are doing butter or ghee or tallow or lard. So all of those healthier fats, just not the seed oils. Right. Um, so yeah, basically just a, from a perspective of we want to reduce inflammation and we want to make the body feel like it's safe and it's got everything it needs to function properly. 
So um, what about like avocado oil? Avocado oil is fine because it doesn't actually come from the seed. It comes from the flesh. So that one is actually safe. Coconut oil is okay too. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'd be very sad if I had to get rid of my avocado oil. (laughs) I I don't use avocado oil. I I always use olive oil, but um, I don't know. I I think people ask me that a lot and I Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, sure. use Yeah. It's actually not a seed oil. So yeah, well, you're good on that one. (laughs) Well, good to know. Yeah. So, so diet is, diet is very important. I think, I think people don't, don't necessarily um, correlate the two. I mean, obviously people worry about diet and people want to do it more for weight loss, but not necessarily thinking about it in terms of that it can help my brain function or that it can help my gut or that it can help me with other things as opposed to losing weight. We just, we think about it as in, I want to eat less to lose weight, not necessarily I want to eat, eat better to be smarter. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's hard too, because there's so much information out there on the internet and people Mm -hmm. think like people come in touting all these things that they're doing. And I'm like, Oh gosh, okay. We have a lot of work to do. And here they are thinking that they're doing really good things. And so it's hard. It's hard with all the information out there on the internet because people really feel like they're trying and doing the right things. And then I see what they're eating. and I'm like, okay, we have to change all of this, but it's okay. We're like, we're going to work on this step by step. So it can be frustrating. How do you, how do you handle someone with an elimination diet if they are vegan or vegetarian? That's a good question. So I actually don't, I only have like a handful of vegan or vegetarian patients, but there's ways to do it. Right. So it's, I actually have one of my office mates, um, who rents space from me. She has been a vegan vegetarian for a very long time. And so I'm always asking, asking her questions because she has this down to like a science because it really takes a lot of work to make sure they're getting enough protein, getting enough of the right nutrients, um, getting things paired up the way that they use. So I still work with them. We just do it in a different way. But I would say the majority of my patients with Hashi's feel like they do a lot better when they have animal protein, but I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I know that there's lots of reasons why people do that. And some people feel better on a vegan or vegetarian diet. And I'm not here to discount that. So we just switch it up, right? Their protein sources are going to come from different protein sources. And we just make sure that those are good quality sources and that they're getting enough of them. And you want to add back the vegetables too, because if they're only eating well, produce. <laughs> they're going to need. You want to make sure that they're eating the correct produce that isn't causing inflammation for them, that isn't causing yep. them to be have a reaction to it to make their symptoms worse. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And they're ready to get their veggies back usually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know I do. I, I do eat meat. I do eat vegetables. And I, I tend to fill my plate more with vegetables than I do meat. And I have had a food sensitivity test and Mm-hmm. Eggs used to be one of my major, major sources of protein. And I started to have huge reactions to it, like really bad reactions to yeah. it. Like <laughs> I had to run to the bathroom so quickly because I was getting physically sick. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't have eggs. Now I can have them sometimes. I cut them out completely for pretty much almost a year. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. have eggs at all not in anything not eggs by themselves not in nothing um not even in in like baked in something else yeah and uh that was really hard going from having you know 18 eggs you know (laughs) a week to nothing 
Um, yeah. But you can always add those back in later. You know, now I can have them sometimes without reaction. Um, I can have them in things without reaction, but I definitely can't eat them the way that I could. So like yeah. with the elimination too, you might find that if you do have to eliminate something, you might be able down the road to add it back in. Yep. And that's something I teach in there too, is like, okay, there's good, there might be certain foods, just like you said, where it's like, okay, I can have it once or twice a week and I can tolerate it. But if I were to have it every day, it's like right back to square one. Yep. Or sometimes uh, one, another thing that I talk about there is food pairings. Like sometimes people do okay with let's say milk, but if they have ice cream where there's dairy and sugar, then that's problematic. So sometimes it's how the foods are paired together too. So there's a lot of little nuance around it. So testing is really, I always say, and I think of health that way in in general, it's like, okay, you're not, if you do something and you don't succeed, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's like, okay, I'm just testing and seeing what works for my body and my brain and how I operate. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with the elimination. Yeah, definitely. If I have eggs every single day, I'm ill. Yeah. <laughs> but if I yeah. have them like once a week, I could totally get away with it and I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. You know? And it gives you a little variety. Right. So it's, it's nice to be able to have those things here and there, but you know what your, your limit is. I know my limits. I know my limits. <laughs> Sometimes I really do like an egg and cheese and potato burrito. So good. So good. I miss, I miss them. But <laughs> I treat myself every so often. but Right. Yeah. And then you just take some enzymes, you walk it off, you deal with it. And then it's fine. And then it's fine. <laughs> so if people want to find you on Instagram and follow you, um, your handle is what at? Stone? Yeah. D D R Stone A Z. So Dr. Stone AZ. Yeah. And that the link in there has a ton of stuff on it. So people can schedule, um, they can fill out the new patient application. They can schedule discovery call or virtual education consults, check out my blog, website, all that good stuff. Yeah. And get all kinds of good information. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with today that you think is important? Yeah, I would say, I mean, one of my biggest messages lately has just been to love your body. So many people, especially with autoimmunity, get frustrated and angry because their body is not doing what they want it to do. And I've fallen into that too. It's like, why aren't you, why aren't you doing what I want? And so getting back to a place where you just learn to love your body, love what it's doing, learn its language, right? It's just speaking to you. It's trying to tell you something. And when you look at it from this perspective, perspective of I'm just getting educated and how my body likes things or doesn't like things, then, then you start, you know, loving it a little bit more and it's going to respond a lot better to that than anger. <laughs> Yeah. We didn't, we didn't touch on the fitness aspect at all, oh, that's but, true. but the, but the exercise, you know, being, being in Pilates and in personal training fitness, it is, it's been difficult for me the way my body has changed since I got sick mm -hmm. and not, I'm a little softer. I'm a little fluffier in places and it's really, really difficult because you hold on, you uh -huh. hold on to things and, and it's like, <laughs> and no matter how hard you work and no matter and it sucks it sucks because i will say now at at my age now i'm in better shape i'm stronger i'm more flexible than i was at 25 and i know this and i'm proud of that i'm proud of the i'm proud of the way i look now i'm proud of the way i feel now i'm proud that i can do things now that 15 years ago it was like 
yeah, right. There's no way. Mm -hmm. But I still sometimes look and I'm like, man, this is tough. Like it's tough. It's hard to, it's hard to not be able to get that extra 10 pounds off, even Mm -hmm. though you eat perfectly and you exercise every day. But you know, you do, you're right. You just, you have to love your body for what it is. And for the fact that it is, it is doing the best that it can and that you are giving it what it needs to be as healthy and for you to feel normal. Yeah. Feeling normal or my normal, you know, whatever (laughs) your normal is with autoimmune is, is like the best thing in the world. Cause for so many years there was no normal. It was like a lot of, terrible feeling like yeah just not feeling good so to feel good and to be the way that i am now is a huge accomplishment and you have to you have to be happy happy with that and and love yourself for who that is yeah i'd rather have my little belly pooch and feel how i feel now than be super stick thin and feel like i used to feel you know 10 plus years ago so i'm all for it yeah (laughs) better than being foggy brained and forget sentences and sleep 16 hours a day and feel like somebody hit you in the face with the frying pan all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't miss those days at all. <laughs> and have the blood sugar drops and Ugh. yeah, feel like yeah. just terrible all the time. It's, it's yeah. a whole different world. And you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel to feel better, Yep, but, but it's a process unfortunately, but you, you know, you can do it. Everyone can do it. Yeah. You find your, your best pathway and just stick with it and just keep fine tuning it little by little and you figure out what your body likes and you just go for it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, if you want to plug your website too, uh, yep. Just drstoneaz.com. So similar to my handle Very easy, (laughs) super easy. All right. I will, uh, both of those will be in my show notes as well. So I will be posting that in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Super appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening and I will see you all next week.